3: It's
0: the second time it's gone on. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those those boys. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Now you can laugh. World
3: Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be
0: like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? Just yeah. to stay alive for All six I'd
3: right, say it to you, but I can't say it what to you now. I'm down, down Twampfield, and I'm with you. What you doing down here, you show me, man?
1: You can almost picture the scene at Manchester United training yesterday. Wayne Rooney rocks up to hear the news that Marcus Rashford is called in sick. This is interesting, thinks Rooney. Big game at Chelsea tomorrow. Zlatan suspended. Martial out injured. Now young Marcus. He's calling in sick. Mm. Could be about time to remind everybody who the big dog is around here. All I have to do is get through this session and stay out of the way of Phil Jo... Ah, oh, shit.
3: <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, Ken, Murph.
3: Hello, and How are you? Is Sorry, it Waza.
1: It's the second... He has had to say that before publicly, Murph. Oh, he has had to apologise to Waza.
2: gigantic cut in yes. Rooney's head. Was what? that the
1: one... That
3: was Jones, that Jones.
1: isn't it? it was very much Jones. November 2013. England utility man Phil Jones admits he apologised. Admits he apologised hey. to Manchester United teammate Wayne Rooney for causing England utility man <laughs> admits he <laughs> apologised yeah, for causing the horrific gash to Rooney's head earlier in the season. It was a bit clumsy of me, said Jones. And the 21-year-old concedes getting into scrapes. It's just part of his nature. I do get a few bumps and bruises. confesses Jones. I've always been the same with <laughs> cuts and... Gra- I, I, I'll check where I got this from. It was a bit of a copy and paste
3: job. Confess, Jones.
1: I, I've always been the same with cuts and grazes from falling over in the playground. Knees, ankles and all sorts in Sunday League football. Oh, but, I, I, but I've never <laughs> broken any bones. I'm none of your own none of your own bones, Feel <laughs> Maybe some of your teammates. Uh, a slight issue there.
3: You just imagine all the bubble-wrapped... Um, You know, corners in Phil Jones's house growing up, (laughs) just tea cozies put over things. You know, just anything that might potentially be a sharp, puncturing surface as he hurtled around Uh, with that uh, vitality, which has always been his trademark.
1: It's a Daily Express column that Mm. I got that from. Article that I got all that from. Alex
3: Ferguson's uh, favorite newspaper, a lifetime subscriber to the Daily Express, and increasingly angry about well, all sorts of things, I suppose in his later years. He's it's got more time to read the newspaper. Yeah. He's now uh, a
2: full-on
1: uh, uh, Princess Diana conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was always a bit surprised that that was his paper, but so it apparently was. It's a really bad gash that Rooney got all those years ago, mm. 2013. So glad that he's okay from that one. I'm not sure the exact nature of the current injury, but it means... Well, apparently it wasn't Phil Jones's
3: fault. It, so. it, was a, it was an interesting thing about it. Um, I mean, there were obviously a few reports of the fact that You know, an incident, a collision of some kind, a coming together with Jones had ruled reading out, but all the reports went on to specify as though it was in the briefing that the journalists received that it wasn't Phil Jones's fault. It didn't say whose fault it was. But it wasn't Phil Jones's fault.
1: Well, what's interesting is it's a day before a match. Surely there aren't very many full-blooded tackles going in. You're doing a gentle kind of a five-a-side at best. Ah, but you, you take that out of Phil Jones' <laughs> game. What do you have left? Phil Jones going around. just a <laughs> big chunk of meat jumping into people. Before we get into it, well, you don't know
3: if it was a tackle or if he just walked into the canteen and inadvertently <laughs> sat down on Rooney. It was a team meeting. Chris sits on Adriana's uh, dog in the Sopranos and falls asleep. You know, something like that might have happened.
1: Before we get into today's report on sport, a quick reminder that we're on the road this week. That includes you, Wolfie. The
2: work has not been so effective in this round. He hasn't found the range. Yes, he did. He's
1: going for the right. Well, is coming. Gagan's outside him, and here goes Simon Gagan. And Gagan goes for the corner, and Gagan is in. And Arnold in front. Well done on
2: Tracy and well done to the oh, he's got it and Tracy may have stolen it into Duggan back to Campbell back to Duggan McLaughlin going for that line an Islander in and over and the referee gives the try Jerry McLaughlin and goes Quinn yes it's there
3: yes, why are they so hard to beat well I think you'll
2: find the record there's a lot of other countries find them hard to beat.
1: Yeah, learn something new with every audio bed. Ginger McLaughlin's given name is Jerry. Hmm. So there you go. Those clips all I feature... Was, I was actually going to correct, but then I was like,
2: wait a second, it's Fred Cogley. <laughs> He's not going to get something wrong with
1: like this. No, he knows his stuff. Yeah. A man can have a nickname as well as a given hmm. name. Those clips all feature successful Irish invasions of London over the years. The Noel Quinn goal was only enough for a draw in 91, unfortunately. Ray out and missed a sitter. Subsequent to that, if I remember correctly. If you can think of any more examples of great Irish sporting performances in London, sporting or otherwise, send them in to editor at secondcaptains.com. You can tweet at Second Captains. We can't wait to see all the Second Captainers in London this Thursday. We're only three days away as we speak. We've been told it was the fastest an event has ever sold out in that venue in Kennedy Hall in Camden. So thanks very much to all of you amazing people. You're amazing, officially. And the show will be available for World Service members over two podcasts on Thursday night and Friday afternoon this week. You can sign up and join the gang on secondgapus.com if you haven't already done so and you'd like to listen to those shows. Let's report on some sport, please, get.
3: Well, Martin O'Neill was in town today. He was at the three headquarters down in the Keys uh, to announce his squad for the forthcoming games against Wales and Iceland. And a very big squad it is, too. <laughs> Martin O'Neill there's like a 39-man squad and that's what we've got again.
1: He's a people person. He likes to keep people happy.
3: Keep people happy. Keep people people feel as as though they're involved in this thing, you know. Um it's a broad church, the Ireland squad. Uh so I mean tons of names. <laughs> it's
2: you know a, lo- a lot of uh a lot of sports teams, national sports teams. You know they're very eager to to embrace the connection between the team and the nation that they represent. Yeah. So maybe Martin O'Neill's final goal is for us all to be named. In a four and a half million strong <laughs> Irish squad that he will pair down at some stage, but he's happy for now to just keep us all involved
3: yeah and it's interesting that that even now we um, we continue to try to get more people involved mm. we've got thirty nine I mean lots of the names on the list aren't uh, aren't people who've played a lot for Ireland yet you know you've got uh Andy Boyle and you've got John Egan son of a Kerry, All-Ireland winner?
2: yep, yeah, John Egan.
3: Uh, Matt junior, yeah. Um, You know, obviously Daryl Horgan's in there, doing pretty well at Preston. Um, you know, you do know has been in there for Conor Horan Stephen Gleeson, you know, uh, Jonathan Hayes. Kind of plenty of um, sort of new players. We're going to have Dion Fanning um, in here to talk to us a little bit about uh, the press conference. He was also there too, covering it for Joe. Um but even at this time, when we've got this, you know, such a burgeoning squad, we continue to try to add to it by uh, singing the siren song to the um, young players of Northern Ireland. Most recently, Aaron McIneff. Well, not, you know, Aaron McIneff actually uh, changed over last year from Northern Ireland to the Republic of Ireland. But uh, John Fallon, the Sunday Times, was speaking to Michael O'Neill, who. Wasn't too happy about this. He says, We know we'll face a challenge on young players. This is Michael O'Neill, the Northern Iron Manager. We're aware conversations happened between the Republic of Ireland and our young players, but I thought it was terrible to approach a player with two qualifiers of our under-21 campaign to go. I thought it was morally poor for the Republic to do that, to ask a young player to make that decision. I made it clear to Noel King at the time. Morally poor, uh, Ma- Michael O'Neill says. And um, Aaron McEnf's brother, Jordan, has also apparently uh, switched over. Um, so, uh, no sign of slowing down on that front.
1: Yeah, it's funny because the, you can completely understand why Michael O'Neill is so annoyed. Mm. It must be really tough when you're managing a small country as it is and you know that there's a fair chance a, percent, a decent enough percentage of your footballers will get picked off by another country. Uh, this is a new angle to it, though, that he feels that you should at least wait, if you're the FAI, you should at least wait until they're senior and don't take them while they're still playing underage football for us. Up until now, we've heard how unfair it is that they play all their underage football from Northern Ireland and then then sometimes switch to Republic of Ireland. O'Neill's actually raising a slightly different concern that they switch while they're still playing underage.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's as always when when this subject comes up, you know, you kind of feel, yeah, I mean, you do feel a little bit sorry for Michael O'Neill. It's not an easy situation, but that is the situation. You know, this is just the way it is here. If they want to play for the Republic, then they're entitled to do that. That's the way it is, <laughs> at least at the moment. You know, who knows? Who knows what the future might bring for us on this island?
2: Might be out of a job.
3: Um, yeah, maybe we've maybe we got to be. Or he,
2: Martin O'Neill could be out of a job. I yeah. should say. I mean, there's there is a, ch- a chance there. There's only no-
3: one, jo- two men,
2: only one job. Ken in mm. the. Well, perhaps not very foreseeable future.
3: So we we, we don't know, but at, at the, you know for, for the time being, it's a you know it'd be one thing if the, if there was sort of a gentleman's agreement, if it was a case of look, we're not okay, we recognise the situation, but we're not actually going to do this anymore because it's just bad for our relations, and let's agree not to do it, even though we could. But evidently, we haven't reached that point yet.
1: Or let's agree to do it a certain amount of times. Maybe there could be a gentleman's agreement between the FAI and the Irish Football Association.
3: Yeah, but you know that's when the new George Best would dance out of the the, uh, Warrens of West Belfast. (laughs) yeah, that would always, it's always going to test the gentleman's agreement in those types of circumstances. So maybe it's best uh, just not to be a hypocrite and not make one. Um, anyway, it's something which continues to, to go on. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the time being, it seems that we've got lots of players. Uh, so Dion will be in to talk to us a bit more about the press conference and so on. So what's been happening? Um, obviously, it was an FA Cup or part FA Cup weekend uh, in England. Um, and maybe the football round in other countries was a bit more interesting. There was this <laughs> unbelievable goal by Memphis Depay. I don't know if you've seen it. Playing for Lyon now, like a deep. god.
2: Yeah, <laughs> an amazing goal. <laughs> it's
3: one of the best halfway line goals I've I've seen to date. And there have been, let's, say, let's face it, loads in the last few years, such, such that it has almost become a little bit old hat. And yet here's Memphis Depay proving that there's still ways in which to score a really impressive halfway line shot. Um, what else was going on? Sergio Ramos adding uh, <laughs> Real Madrid in general scoring a lot of nice headers these days. Tony Kroos floats in some nice passes into the area. And on this occasion, Sergio Ramos headed it into the net so hard that honestly, you when you saw it, you, your initial reaction was to flinch involuntarily and cover your own head because it looked as though it would be impossible to do this without causing some kind of um, brain injury. But uh, instead, Sergio Ramos was able to score the winner with this uh, bullet header. I mean, properly, bullet header. After Ronaldo had scored a header of his own, uh, Kaylor Navas had thrown one into his own net to put Real Madrid 1 0 down against Betis and then should have been sent off for a charge outside the box and, you know, smashing into somebody. But of course, it was Real Madrid uh, and he wasn't sent off. Um, the, this kind this kind of refereeing has been annoying. Lots of people, uh, if you've seen that, uh, there is a petition to have the Paris Saint-Germain game replayed, which has 200,000 signatures now. Um, incidents that seriously damaged PSG are cited in the peti- petition as a consequence of the refereeing of the German Denise Eiteken, who benefited Barcelona with his actions and his refereeing. Well.
2: It's a bit of a... It's a bit of a weak position to be coming from when, as you wrote in your column today, if they had just conceded less than six goals, yeah. if they had conceded say five goals, yeah. they would have gone through.
3: I think to be fair, I wrote fewer than six goals, but hmm. yeah, um, no, I, I absolutely don't agree. misquote me. <laughs> now the, you know, do you saw the thing about they've cancelled this documentary? Yeah, what a documentary. PSG were supposedly making a documentary about the game against Barcelona. And for some reason, they've cancelled it, even though it's it would have a chance of you know being one of the greatest documentaries, the sports documentaries of all time. It
1: might be less popular within Paris at this point, but yeah, Europe, Europe wide, worldwide, I think people might watch that documentary. There's still an
0: audience, you know, they yeah. they just did, not
2: just the exact opposite of the audience that you were <laughs> originally pitching it to. It, it
3: just it's kind of grim. like it's you know if these kind of well funded uh, club stations, like media departments, are going to be good for anything. You know, don't shy away from the greatest story that you're ever going to have the opportunity to cover as the club TV channel. You know, don't just produce this, like, mindless propaganda. You know, these boring inserts about, oh, here we all are, training. You know, they they put up a couple of clips before the game of what they call the supper club, which is a couple of PSG players sit around and sort of eat, you know, in a Parisian-style... Obviously, it's not an actual Parisian cafe, um, you know, that people might might interrupt, but evidently some kind of mock-up. Imagine, like, uh, not too dissimilar from uh, Revista de la Liga, you know, that kind of setup. And they sit there and chat, and they were having a chat about it. it was like Verratti, um, Draxler, who already speaks pretty good French. I mean, maybe, maybe he spoke French before. Um, Matuidi and Meunier, so mm. all sitting around talking about the Barcelona game. And they're like... And Verati, I think, says, you know, if we if we lost 5-1, like would you be disappointed? And and Matuidi's like, nah, I don't think so. And is like, oh, I would be. I mean, we'd, you know, people would mock us. <laughs> if we lost 5-1, you know, people would mock us. And and Verati was saying, Yeah, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, previously I would have been okay with it, but now I'm kind of like, nah, I think we need to do a bit better than that. Um, the sixth one didn't really occur to them. But, I mean, the, the idea of having all the footage from the first leg, I mean, which is the greatest triumph. There's been all this stuff coming out of Barcelona since, you know, Jeremy Matthew saying, well, I got particularly annoyed when I saw a picture of Marquinhos's wife holding up four fingers. She, there she was with her dog, holding up four fingers. That really annoyed the Barcelona players. <laughs> and, you, and you're like, but I suppose they did find this a bit provocative. I mean, Neymar had a, Neymar put up a photo of two of the Paris players. I think one was Rabiot. I can't remember who the other one was holding up four. Fin- one of them holding up four fingers for the four-nil. One of them doing this, the V sign for victory. And Neymar writes four plus two equals six. And you know, this is like this is this is the kind of stuff that's now going on between footballers at Europe's top clubs. But these guys, this Paris film crew, had got access to. These Paris players enjoying the greatest night of their, the greatest performance of their club careers, followed by the worst humiliation. This
1: will come out eventually. This, the documentary might be shelved for now, but I just do hope that these people are careful with the footage, that this, that they don't, the, the files aren't lost.
3: Absolutely, because, you know, if you want, if you want, like the owners of Paris, um, you know, who are, basically Qatari billionaires, want Paris to become... They're, they're, I'm calling it Paris or Paris Saint-Germain because that's what they're trying to do. They're actually trying to... They're like, why do we have this Saint-Germain in the name? It just confuses everyone. We're going to be call ourselves Paris from now on because everybody knows Paris. It's a good brand. La Vieux du <laughs> That's us. And so they want this thing to become more than just a byword for you know losing uh, 6-1 when you're 4-0 up. And They wanted to become a, a loved, you know, sort of uh, people around the world to gravitate to Paris. Co- and I can't think of any better way, to, like, than to show this, this tragedy. Show how much they care. Yeah, everybody would be would be like, oh, look at this. You know, I mean, it would. I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll come around to it eventually. But for the time being, it just those lookers that well, they should just disband the entire media department because. What's the point of of just generating nonsense when something really interesting, when something genuinely historic happens, you just pretend it didn't happen and move on.
1: Meanwhile, Barcelona blew (laughs) it yesterday.
3: (laughs) Well, Barcelona, we're back to reality in a big way. And, I mean, they just played so bad. I watched the entire game. um, And it was like, what is... I mean, Deportivo La Corolla, okay, it's not, not necessarily an easy away match, but... I was just watching it going, why could Paris Saint-Germain not have done all of this? What, what we're just seeing from Deportivo, which is, which is to say a totally classic uh, defensive counter-attacking performance. Uh, they won 2-1. They really should have won 3-1 because they had a three-on-nobody break in the very last minute of the game, which the guy who had the ball, Fager, uh, decided that he would go for a glory and had two two unmarked men to his right. He can pass to both of whom have a tap in, and he decided to go for it himself and and didn't score. So it was only two one as opposed to three one. But just the defending was so it wasn't like anything. It's like something you've seen a thousand times before. You know, everybody just getting the box when the ball was bouncing around. This ten, you can see all ten Deportivo players in the ten Deportivo outfield players in the box. This is what <laughs> even Barcelona find it difficult to score against that. Um, and, and so it worked out, you know, they, uh, they ended up losing it. So Madrid are now, uh, Madrid had two games in hand. I think Madrid are now top with a game in hand. Yeah. Um, Ronaldo, incidentally, had equaled the record of Jimmy Greaves for the top goal scorer in the top five European leagues, 366 league goals, uh, which is the same as Jimmy Greaves and one more than Gerd Muller. And obviously, not finished yet by a long way.
1: Yeah, I read a piece recently with Jimmy Greaves, whose health, unfortunately, is, is bad. He had a stroke um, relatively recently. But it's very interesting. It was essentially trying to remind people of how great Jimmy Greaves was, which sometimes gets lost, I think, a little bit over mm. the years. People talk about Bobby Charlton and Duncan Edwards and all these great English footballers. And Greaves isn't usually put in that bracket, despite mm. the fact that he has this. It's incredible that it's only now that Ronaldo's catching up to this.
3: It's because he... Missed the World Cup final, really. I mean, or, or was kind of fell out of the team, the England uh, 1966 team, and was replaced by Jeff Hurst, who ended up scoring a hat-trick in the final and grabbing all the glory, such that poor old Jimmy Greaves was kind of forgotten about. And then he, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that was basically, I mean, he, he did, he was part of a team in with Tottenham in 1961 that won the double. And was regarded as, you know, one of the greatest teams that anyone had ever seen. But in the second half, essentially, his career tailed off. Yeah. I mean, he had this brilliance. Uh, the player who used to be compared to him a lot when he was young was Robbie Fowler, in, ter- in terms of his style, his the the style of play. Not not like a big, uh, strong player, but just the guy who always seemed to have the technique to strike the ball. Really well, pass the ball into the net. John
1: Giles told us years ago how his one-on-one finishing was insane. Like just a classic striker who slows everything down to suit him. You just know he's going to score, as hmm. opposed to the vast majority of strikers. Even sometimes top top level strikers. You're not really necessarily sure they're to score, but Graves must have had that knack, otherwise he wouldn't be scoring.
3: Yeah, and, and you see, and then again, it's he's one of those players from you know old timer players who suffers from the fact that most of what he did isn't on you know HD. <laughs> None of it is; it's not available in the same way. But you see a lot of those types of pass finishes. Quite different, I'd say, more like uh, more messy, like than than like Ronaldo, who does like to break the net. Yeah, you know, 581 goals Ronaldo has now, by the way. When you add to the 68 for Portugal to the One's for Real Madrid in all competitions, which is just absolutely incredible. Um, but anyway, he's he's still on the on the go. Uh, Millwall, Tottenham just turned into a big fight outside the stadium. Um, Tottenham fairly bossed it on the field, six nil. Um, even Vincent Janssen scored, which you know he came on as a light substitute and scored a, a decent goal. So obviously scored a hat trick. Arsenal beat Lincoln five nil, uh, and then Arsene Wenger. Charmed the Cowley brothers. Um, that's uh, Danny and Nicky Cowley of Lincoln City. Manager Danny and brother Nicky invited them in and chatted them, just shut the breeze about football for an hour and a half. They said, What an amazing man he is. And he's getting a lot of support from his fellow managers, even Tony Pulis, who, he, who seemed to used to hate his guts back in the day. When he was a manager of Stoke, and Wenger was being very condescending about Stoke, is speaking up for what a great man Arsene Wenger is. And, and indeed, Arsene Wenger is speaking up for himself. Uh, why shouldn't he? Uh, talking about Luis Enrique. Well, you know, everyone thought he was an idiot the other week, and now everyone's saying he's, he's great. Just shows you the game, doesn't it? Just shows you this game, what it's all about. And he also said, when there are 60,000 people in the stadium and 100 of them are unhappy, why do we always talk about the 100 that are unhappy? So
1: He's right about Luis Enrique But Tanger's had quite a few chances uh, In in over 10 years And hasn't turned it around
2: They'd still definitely Be calling Luis Enrique An idiot If he also lost The second leg 4-0
3: They would (laughs) To be fair Uh, If he lost 4-0 Both times Even if the referee Had maybe given An unfair penalty Or something like that It would be difficult For Luis Enrique But just looking at A couple of stats I mean Again it's not one of those Weekends of epic action All over the place um, Football Observatory had an interesting uh, post. Well, I mean, I say interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, where it showed what a salesman. S- eh? Squad turnover during the last five years. Um, now we have spoken a good bit about Arsenal recently in terms of you see the you see the sort of anger that there is at Arsenal anger, despite the fact that you know they're still kind of well actually at the moment they're outside the top four, but they you know they're. They've got games in hand that could get them back in. They've been in there consistently. Arsene Wenger is still ahead of Jose Mourinho, uh, even though Mourinho has the most expensive squad in the history of football. And uh, most Manchester United fans seem to think that he's doing quite a good job. You know what I mean? So Wenger might be looking at this kind of situation when you step back and look at how, how are we actually doing here? And go, well, this guy, apparently, everyone seems to think is doing well. Why should I, you know... Fall on my sword when I'm doing better than him, and his his squad is is really expensive. These sort of thoughts might occur to Arsenal, but of course the big uh, the big problem that he has is the fact that he it's been him all that time. You know, if you look at the like, uh, you know Manchester United have sacked uh, Moyes and Van Hal to get to Mourinho, Liverpool who are you know in and around where Arsenal are in the league have sacked how many managers since Wenger last. Won a major, or you know, won, won, the, won the title, I should say. Um, so there's this kind of constant cycle of renewal, like bloodletting, scapegoating, and renewal that these other clubs have had, which enables maybe their supporters to look at a, a guy who's doing, well, a very Arsene Wenger like job in terms of the performance of the team in the league, and yet feel sort of more optimistic about it than Arsenal supporters do. And it turns out that this trend also extends to the players on the field. Um, because Football Observatory basically put up a uh, a list of uh, number of players fielded in domestic league games. Uh, it turns out that Arsenal are well down there at the bottom. Over the past five years, basically, how many um, how many players has your club used? Uh, and Arsenal, the you know down at the very bottom, you see teams like Bayern Munich, fifty five players over the last uh, five years. Uh, Arsenal are right down there as well. Just they've actually used one fewer player than Barcelona, who obviously have a really stable team. Or you know it's it's kind of a few. There've been a few big stars of Barcelona who've been there a very long time, and you know they've played in most of these games over the last five years. Not a lot of turnover there because you've got a good good team. Arsenal, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern all down there. The top English team in terms of turnover is Sunderland, who obviously have been struggling to find the right combination, um, and Liverpool are also very high up there. So you, you get what's, a sense So, what's, that, the
1: numbers, what's a big number here?
3: A big number is uh, FC Genoa. 137 <laughs> players fielded since uh, March 2012 to March 2017 in league matches. Hmm. Um, Sevilla are also in the top 10, 103, which, which is interesting because, I mean, wh- whereas Sunderland have been you know, fighting for their lives in the Premier League all that time, Sevilla have been winning the Europa League year after year after year, even though their team changes pretty much every year which is quite a good um, record for them. The other thing, uh, statistically-wise, is Paul Tompkins had a a thing showing the um, uh, uh, teams in the Premier League ranked by height and weight of players. So you get to see who the biggest and smallest teams are. Paul Tompkins obviously covers a lot of uh, Liverpool-related stuff, Um, so I guess the fact that Liverpool have the smallest team in the league was maybe one of the things he wanted to point out. Um, Who would you say is the biggest? Chelsea No, Chelsea are the fourth heaviest <clears throat> but only the 13th tallest on average. So Chelsea's uh, model is the power cube model, you know, they want stocky, heavy-set guys who are power pack, but not necessarily, you know, skyscraper type players. Mm. Um, now the uh, biggest team by miles is Watford. Uh, Watford are so big compared to everybody else they're so far off to the top and right of this graph that you wondered, was this some kind of a joke or is this this the reason this team has been put together like this just to win this particular table they're winning it by miles Uh, the smallest are Man City and Liverpool followed by Arsenal and Leicester which does seem to suggest that having big tall players doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be one of the better teams Manchester United only the 7th tallest and 6th heaviest so uh, they are kind of mid-table
1: yeah I'm surprised with that because Mourinho put together a lot of that Chelsea team and he's also putting together this Man United team mm. and he loves tall players yeah I mean, Man he's United, dropped the ball a little bit they're
3: getting a bit of sand kicked in their face uh, I regret to say Owen, at, the time, at this time I think they're very much looking towards the Mercado when uh, there's maybe going to be some uh, beef uh, on the market that they're going to have to uh, import let's wrap the
2: First of all, I'd like to welcome John Delaney here today. John Delaney
3: here today. Trying to be critical is going to be impossible. Building a house, you build the foundations first, the chimney's the top, the chimney for us it's international football. As well to, to
2: John Delaney, uh, The pleasure, the entertainment, the organisation, the skills that
3: you take to everybody is fantastic. But you don't have a chimney unless you've got a very strong foundations. So.
1: All right, Dion Fanning from Joe has made it back from the press conference with Ken. How are you, Dion? I'm good, on How are you? Uh, changing of the guard, by the sounds of things. The press conference, a lot of new faces among the very, very large squad named for these qualifiers. Or for the well, it's team. very
0: hard to know wh- what guard, if there is a changing of the guard or if you know there's just two guards uh, being named and <laughs> when the, the actual real squad is, is announced that the old guard will still be there. Um, these are completely pointless exercises. I don't know what... Uh, we're, we're doing there and actually there was a moment at the beginning of the press conference when it seems as if nobody had any questions for Martin O'Neill. And I kind of thought, this is actually, this is perfect. We should end this now. <laughs> <laughs> we should have no questions and just say, thanks. You've announced a squad that has no bearing on the game itself.
1: Well, there just shouldn't
0: be the extended squad. No. You just feel it should be straight into the... Sure, just, yeah, name a squad. squad Why do yeah. we need a provisional squad? We know what the provisional squad is. The provisional squad is every Irish player playing in England. Maybe keep Scotland. some of those people interested.
1: Keep they, they are interested. They're playing football. Yeah, OK. <laughs> I'm not going to win this battle. I'm not sure I have full <laughs> belief in my own question sitting here, The answer. So I will ask you about one of the old guard, that's Aidan McGeady who was, seemed to be the topic of quite a bit of the conversation today after his performances recently.
0: Yeah, he's McGeady's an interesting one because I suppose if you were to uh, ask any Ireland fan in recent times if they wanted McGeady in the side they'd they'd hesitate uh, but his, his form for Preston has been so good and he's been uh, he's really kind of uh, rejuvenated his career there and He's now looking like that kind of creative player, the guy who can make a difference and change things. Which, when you're when you're an Ireland manager, you don't have a lot of that. Mm. So I think again, he's he's played. You know, he's somebody that O'Neill would never have lost interest in anyway. But there were times in re- you know, recent games and over going back to when McGeady, you know, there was injury things that upset O'Neill about you know before the Scotland game. I think it was in in 2015. Uh, that he kind of seemed to have kind of cooled on him a bit because he's obviously a player he's known for so long. But uh, I think his form for Preston means he's kind of somebody that O'Neill is very interested in again.
3: Well, he's the Championship Player of the <coughs> Month. Um, for goals, eight assists in 23 championship matches. Um, and O'Neill said today that he has a free role which suits him. Is that what's been happening with Aidan McGeady? All this time, his his thirty uh, he's thirty years old now, and the problem has been nearly thirty one actually, and the problem has been that he uh, hasn't been allowed to the creative freedom that he needs to truly flourish.
0: Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, didn't he get? A, didn't he have a central role, which is not the same as a free role? But when Ireland played in Germany, he was given. Yeah. A, 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 he was named in the center center of midfielder behind the striker, um, which I think famously. He had to go and ask someone in the dressing room beforehand. Where was he playing? So, it, yeah, nobody really had a clue yeah. of what was happening. By the sounds of things, so that was that, you know, that's probably as free a role as it gets. If you don't know what position you're in, don't know what position you're in forty five minutes before <laughs> kickoff, you can't get much more, more free than that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, no, I think he's. Uh, I don't think that's the thing. I think it's. Uh, he he. I I think he found he didn't get to take his chance at Everton. I think he disappointed people at Everton with his. Uh, his, I don't think he was fit enough when he when he joined the club. I think there was um, some question marks about that, and uh, this move has clearly been one of those things that's happened that a player realised right, I've got to. This, this is an opportunity now that I can't let slip, and uh, and he hasn't. So maybe the free role has helped him, but there has been plenty of times for Ireland when he's been reasonably effective, working a, a pretty a disciplined role as well. But it just you know it's got, it hadn't happened in recent times.
1: Yeah, it's he probably deserves a certain amount of credit for performing as well as he has been given that his career seemed to have completely nosedived at Everton he went to was Sheffield Wednesday didn't do much for them on loan so to 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 pull it out of the fire again is worthy of a certain amount of praise this isn't like we're kind of clutching the straws a bit with regards to McGeady's career because everyone has such higher hopes from five or six yeah. years ago
0: yeah well it is worthy of praise he's, he's doing this uh, Um. And it would be intre- it would be interesting to see if it does if those translate into you know performances for Ireland or if he gets that opportunity because uh, that is that is the thing he uh, has always disappointed people that you don't know really what know what you're going to get with McGeady but at the moment he is as you know in a squad that doesn't have a huge amount of of you know gifted players he is a player with with gifts and whether they can kind of translate into you know international side is is the big question still with them James
1: McLean is another of the old guard another O'Neill favorite and rightfully so based on his performances earlier in the campaign the goal against Austria looked like it was going to be a big springboard for him it hasn't happened at club level but it sounds like O'Neill was talking very glowingly again of his boy McLean today
0: yeah well I don't understand I again this is goes against the kind of McGeady point in a way I don't understand why any link is made between club club form and, and international form because especially when you've got players in the Premier League uh, and international football, they're totally different. They're totally different games now. And international football, you, you know, I don't think anybody clings to this idea. You'll hear managers saying it. It's the highest form of, fu- of the game. Nobody believes that anymore. It's a pretty mediocre <laughs> standard of football and you kind of just need to get players who can play at that, at that level. So if you're not performing in the Premier League, it doesn't really matter. Never. It's, in some ways, it's never really mattered for Ireland. Going w- right back, they often had players who weren't in first teams in in their clubs and came, you know, and played well for Ireland. But McLean is a is a great example of it now that he's he's really blossomed as a as a international player. His confidence is up. He 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 thrives on it, and I, you know, and he enjoys it. And I don't think anyone would really be concerned. And O'Neill said, you know, today he said he's one of those players. There are other players I would be concerned about their form. Uh, at club level, he's not one of them. I don't think. I think that's true about him, but I don't think it should really matter too much in, for any player.
3: What's weird about McLean is that his uh, his performance against Austria was excellent. He scored a brilliant goal. It seems very much like a a kind of well, wow, James McLean has has arrived, and I, I think we were even talking about it in here. Actually, were you you were in here just yeah. soon after that game? We were talking about it. We were talking about how he tweeted some article praising. His performances, and I was, I was uh, wishing I tagged him when I had written a thing saying, you t- well, he, McLean.
0: "Did you not tweet your article?" No, I don't no.
3: think. I, 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 don't think so. I, I, I probably would have noticed. Uh, so oh, you th- definitely would have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that he's barely played for West Brom since then. He's played 90 minutes on one occasion. That was when they lost two-one to Derby in the FA Cup. He did start against Everton as they lost 3-0 in their most recent match. That was uh, he played 75 minutes there. But looking back, I can't see any other starts. Um, The the last time that he... And and the funny thing is that he was kind of playing consistently at the start of the season in the lead-up to that Austria game. So the last game that West Brom played before that match was... I I mean, the Ireland-Austria one, was um, also the last time that uh, that uh, James McLean rather played 90 minutes uh, in the Premier League. That was West Brom nil, Manchester City four... It seems as though something happened that day, to change the image of James McLean or to change Tony Pulis's opinion of James McLean because he literally has not played ninety minutes in the league since. What do you think is going on here?
0: Well, I I, I think you know West Brom have been have been going pretty well. I think that's that's probably one of the things. And again, why anything that happened in. Uh, in, in, in Austria would have any bearing on what on what Tony Pulis does. I don't think that's the way it works. I don't think you would expect. Uh, you know, we might look at it and think, let's hope something comes from this. But I don't think a club manager, the only thing they think about when, with international football is that their players come back and, and aren't injured. Uh, I don't think that, you know they may say though it's great for their confidence, but I don't think um, what what he does at what he does at you know for Ireland has any bearing on. Like, would you expect it to?
3: Uh, no, not really. But, um, I mean, I, I didn't notice that McLean had been particularly poor in the Man City game. I mean, the, the, the when Man City beat West Brom really badly, it was kind of an Ilkay Gundogan wonder show. Uh, he does still play for Man City. He got two goals and the Cisco Aguero got two goals. I'm just trying to see if anything particularly traumatic happened down the left side of the West Brom team. <laughs> um Uh, And it doesn't really seem as though I can't can't make out the pattern. But but obviously Pulis saw something that day that he didn't really like because since then we just haven't seen McLean.
1: You mentioned injuries there. Are we going to have another week or so of Ireland coaching team versus Everton medical staff battles over James McCarthy? (laughs) (sighs) Um, What's the latest of this when he has got another hamstring problem? Yeah,
0: I think... There was almost a willingness for something, you know, for, for some real, uh, you know, we we were de- desperate. Give us, give us a war of words, Mark. <laughs> we we we, uh, we shouted from the back rows, and uh, he didn't really like. He, he he kind of, you know, he made a couple of slightly, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, Would it even through. qualify so, as waspish? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. But the kind of, you know, we haven't had, you know, Mc- McCarthy any injury problems. He's got nothing to do with us. We haven't had him for. Uh, a few months so they can't be blaming blaming it on us, although did he say they might try or something like that. So there was a a little bit of uh you know, a little bit of kind of groundwork laid for maybe some future prob- problems when Roy Keane comes into <laughs> town. But uh I don't know, like Everton, you know, I is it, are Everton gonna go to war this time about James McCarthy? Uh, like it, it's not uh He's you know they've they've kind of shaped a kind of team now that they don't really doesn't meant, include him. doesn't include McCarthy. It might is, be
3: another worry for us. This is, this is another problem. You know, I mean, uh, it's only remember we had that little Irish colony at Everton a while ago, and now it's just Coleman who's who's actually still in there. I mean, McCarthy has played a few games. Yeah, okay, he has played a few games, but he's still. I mean, now that they've signed Schneiderlin, yeah, he is basically. <clears throat> Benchman, yeah, and Gareth Barry... Not, he's, is, very, he's
1: not Koeman's guy, either. He was very much...
3: Yeah, Martinez's but, you know, Gareth Barry wasn't Koeman's guy, either. And he's, you know, he. I mean, obviously Schneiderlin is. Um, but Garrett Barry has is getting in the team, it seems, effortlessly ahead of uh, James McCarthy, even at his um, very advanced age. So um, it's not really looking so
0: good there. No, it's not. Um, no, I think it's, uh, you know, there was that strange... Situation when they you know they announced that they they couldn't sign uh, Sissoko because of their their loyalty to James McCarthy, um, but I don't think that I think that's something that loyalty will probably won't last much longer. Um, but again, I don't know how. I suppose you probably you do want your players playing, uh, but I think there are other problems like James McCarthy when he's been in the team when at club level there have been times when he has it doesn't made any impact on you know his form for Ireland so. Uh, may, maybe it can work in reverse. I just think there's very little connection between the two. Uh, and again, if you want to have, like, maybe it just doesn't lead to kind of a pressure situation around the player, which would be kind of ideal, I think.
1: Maybe we could create an environment where we just could have full time international players somehow. I mean, they wouldn't get paid anywhere near as much as they do
0: as. <laughs> you got your. You found the flaw on it there, <laughs> Yeah, there is a slight issue. Although
3: I do find myself more sympathetic. Uh, not that I was ever necessarily really against it, I just hadn't thought about it that much but the idea that a lot of people are putting forward now of an actual international season would be a lot better than this this kind of you know I mean no one
1: wants this yeah, international fit when are you going to fit this season when, into the season that's already there
3: August, May
0: well, isn't, what's the plan with that incredibly complicated new UEFA league the, format the Nations League Nations League uh, like, when does that a, kick in that's not far away that should
3: yeah. be like I guess...
0: March, sometimes, yeah, there's, that, that's got, that answers all your uh, <laughs> prayers. Well, the fact that, that you
3: know, I mean, we, we have been sort of aware, vaguely aware of this Nations League concept, which was launched, you know, actually maybe two years ago at this stage. No one's quite sure of the It's It basically is
0: Alan Partridge explaining the world Cup. That <laughs> that's how, how
1: that works. So quick, I don't. quick word, uh, uh, Dion I should say, on Chelsea Manchester United tonight. Yeah, uh, And the lack of strikers for Manchester United in particular. It's
0: a terrible situation for them. Um I think Mourinho's uh, I think he'll he is um I hate saying, you know, it, it's the worst thing in the world is to start talking about Jose Mourinho and, you know, the the, the sort of the uh, psychological kind of battles he is he is he is kind of laying laying out for before a game. But I think with the uh, Europa League match on Thursday, that's that's the priority for them. That's their best way probably into the Champions League at this stage. And uh, if they then can lose at Chelsea in a way that, you know, they, they were hamstrung by their lack of strikers, uh, I think that's, that sort of suits Mourinho.
3: But he is, he is manager who has done that kind of thing before. I mean, famously in the Champions League semi-final against Real Madrid when they had, or against Barcelona rather, when they had lost the first leg at home 2-0. Remember Messi scored... Uh, was the two goals so certainly a brilliant second goal, and Mourinho um, told the Real Madrid players beforehand, at least according to the you know Diego Torres book, told them that the object of the game for the seconds for the second leg was to lose in such a way that it would be plausible to blame the referee. Uh, they, they couldn't go and do a, you know a PSG on it. They couldn't lose by by a ton of goals. They had to keep it narrow, so that such that at the end he would be able to say. The referees put Barcelona in the final again, which was amazing because he seemed to rule out from the very beginning that they had any chance of actually beating, you know, <laughs> winning the game and getting to the final. It just wasn't something that occurred. So do you do you get the sense that with this game and away match against Chelsea, um, where they lost 4-0 earlier this season in what was probably the most painful result of any that Mourinho's had to absorb, that he's kind of writing this one off as well in advance that he, that he I mean surely winning this game would be huge even though it's, even yeah. though it's only the FA Cup to actually go and, and beat or even draw with Chelsea take them back to Old Trafford it's worth expending energy in this cause I would have thought
0: it's, I suppose I don't know how huge it is like this is the problem I think Mourinho for all he, he can talk up any you know, domestic cups they win if United aren't in the Champions League next season he's, he's failed this season like that's the reality uh, and you know whatever he talks about, you know anything else. That's that's the least they should expect. So um, I don't think this match has a huge amount of significance for them. That would be great for him. Uh, I also think it's a, but it's also a little bit like 2014 when they went to Anfield, and uh, you know everyone was everyone was was ill that that day. Mourinho could barely make it to the to the ground himself. Um, so maybe he feels as as a, as a ploy it it does work because you know the, the pressure is off and the expectation is off and then if he gets a draw, it's a it's a triumph for this uh, this sort of you know extremely uh, weak and uh, infirm team <laughs> that they've managed to do anything. Yeah, we'll see what they can manage to do with that. Listen, to Dion, brilliant stuff. Nice Thanks, man Cheers, lads.
2: I do
1: like
3: Ken Early's work. I do like Ken Early's work. I wouldn't necessarily agree with Andy Ken Early says about football. I'm mad, but ain't stressed. He writes fluently and thinks cogently. You mentioned Ken Early, I wouldn't necessarily agree with London, Ken Early says about football. I'm annoying uh, twat.
1: We got some tweets in on Emery Chan's knee slide celebration. Mm. I don't know if you guys notice this as, as a. Rob asks remarks out of 10. Frank describes it as a thing of beauty. So, what this one is, it's a straight knee slide with maybe about a 45 degree pivot at the end.
2: Yeah. But you've left out the, the key point. It it finishes perfectly in the corner flag, which means it's a. For me, it's a 10 out of 10. Oh, I mean, no, no, Danny no, no, Drinkwater no, no, no. can, can piss off as far as I'm concerned. Emery Chan aims for the corner flag and judges it like a, an Olympic gymnast. Sim, Simone Biles herself would have been proud of Emery Chan's use of angles hey, listen, and uh, distance
1: I'm a knee slide purist like yourself Murph I do agree that Thank you. Danny Drinkwater's full turn is nonsensical you don't need to be celebrating back with your teammates you want to keep you want to keep going in the same direction mm. but what I will I'm actually going to dock some points for the pivot there's no need to turn at all that's my only Robbie Brady shows you how it's, we need Robbie Brady to score another goal to show you how it's done straight knee slide same direction don't move the upper body at all at the very end jump up and headbutt goes out your headbutt in the air you need a bit of that at the end. Doesn't matter where you end up, as long as it's in that position.
3: Yeah. Um, uh, there's
1: something there for everyone. Else. It really is. <laughs> um,
3: yeah, I, th- I thought. I think Emery Chan maybe is is too heavily built to be doing those kinds of things. I mean, I think he uh, he didn't have a very good game actually. I, mean, I was watching that game as well. He uh, the, the goal that he scored was ultimately a very good goal. I mean, it didn't look likely at all. When you could see that he was going to have a goal, and it was very surprising to see it uh, uh, below the net as it did uh, because he did look as though he he wasn't really set to shoot it very well but uh, yeah.
1: Quick word what's going to happen tonight? Does it matter? Mourinho says it doesn't. Really, <laughs> does Mourinho say that? Yeah, well, he said the Europa he League. He laid the, the groundwork, yeah, quite effectively. I thought. Europa League is the focus. Oh my god! Well, he, well, I mean, I don't know how he can get away with that nonsense, to be honest. But well, his point being that you can't get into the Champions League via the FA Cup.
3: It's true. I mean, it, it is true. He does have a point. It doesn't matter as much as the league game would. However, the fact that they lost that game four 0 you would have thought meant he. I mean, obviously, he doesn't want to, this game to matter too much because he doesn't want to lose a game that matters. And it seems to me as though he'd rather pretend it didn't and, and you know, hope to get something out of it. Um, I mean, he's, he's doing an interview with Gary Lineker. I saw him there. I saw a clip from this interview where he uh, was, was saying, you know, what's the, diff- what's the most difficult thing about managing this club? And he said, well, the most difficult thing is the relation between our true potential and the expectations we create for ourselves. There is a gap, and that gap is the most difficult thing. So, you know he's he's trying to manage expectations there but you know at the beginning of the season he was talking about winning the title you know and and they they had broken the world transfer record and how many times do we need to repeat it you know he's got lots of good players there there are a lot of good players yeah, maybe, work- maybe 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 they're missing a few tonight
1: well the, he's got the ones that Phil Jones isn't going around barging into. put
3: continue <laughs> he you know <clears throat> i think he's i think he has had the resources this season certainly to do better than he has done so um okay we we'll see how it goes tonight um Conte against uh, Conte against Mourinho there was an inter- interesting interview also with Eden Hazard um, here's Eden Hazard talking about Antonio Conte sometimes in the dressing room he says some words just to you personally and then you think yes it's true <laughs> so you have to do something in the game for instance against Best Ham I missed two training sessions during the week he told me okay this week you didn't run but on the pitch do something and I scored so he was happy <laughs> it's simplistic so it's enough. Football management, you know, it's not necessarily as complicated as some people like you like you to believe.
1: As well as the live shows from London on the World Service this week, we're also going to have episode number two of the Players' Chair with Richie Sadler, Richie and Brian Kerr. This week's guests go all the way back to Richie's days as an underage goalador in one of Kerr's brilliant youth teams, and you can catch up on Ken's latest politics podcast episode by episode titles now. I see, Ken. Uh, for the for the
3: time being, own <laughs> you've abandoned. Yes, we can. Yeah, it's it's earlier. interesting actually because today there was the whole. Uh, Nicholas Sturgeon is asking for a referendum in Scotland. It's kind of touching on some of those issues of Scottish unionism, Northern Ireland, Irish unionism, which is in. The, choppy water zone choppy waters for unionism
1: secondcaptains.com if you want to hear some of that and if you're not already part of the team the Barcelona Paris Saint-Germain show from last week was about as much fun as I think we've had since we started the World Service England-Iceland at the Euros kind of levels I would say we'll leave you with a reminder of the insanity at the new Camp last Wednesday night in the meantime was it last Wednesday? it was last Wednesday it was last Wednesday thanks Murph thanks all thanks, Ken. thanks Thank again Karen. thanks again Thank thanks so much for listening talk to you soon
2: what happens if they get another one in the next couple of minutes? I don't know how much stoppage time it's going to be yet. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Just start you wondering a little bit again. Yeah, Messi through. Suarez! That was he fouled there? Yes, he was. He's oh, a penalty. He's given a penalty. Words. We're not done here
3: yet. Neymar. Neymar. MC Neymar. Neymar. Go, 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 go. Gumsa.
2: Now 30 seconds remaining. Neymar kicks it oh, and it's a run!
3: Sergi, Gastivu Sergi, Gastivu Sergi, Gastivu Sergi, Gastivu Sergi, Gastivu Sergi, Gastivu Dastibu Gastivu Sergi, Gastivu Sergi, Gastivu Sergi, Gastivu Roberto, gol la Barça, 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 gol, gol,
1: gol
3: That's the second time it's gone huh? They
2: never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those.